Take your Bible this morning and turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles in the rack in front of you, it's page 1044. Christianity, if we just take a very honest look at it, uh, we would have to say uh, that it is odd at best. Uh, It could be said that Christianity as a religion, as a faith, is pretty strange, maybe even weird. Uh, We hold as our symbol of victory a cross. Uh, We wear it on chains around our necks. We we put it up in our churches and in our homes, a cross, uh, an instrument of torture and of execution. And for us, it's a symbol of victory. Uh, For us, we look to our leader and we call it his highest moment of victory uh, when he is Uh, savagely beaten and he is brutally uh, nailed naked between two common criminals to an instrument of shame and humiliation and torture and death. How could the cross really stand for victory? And if Jesus was victorious on, on the cross, then who was it who was defeated on the cross. If if Jesus is the victor, who is the defeated? Those, I'm telling you, are good questions. They're hard questions to answer. Uh, The Bible speaks to each of those. They are important questions. The Bible makes it clear, and I can show this to you on the screen, Colossians chapter two, verse 15, speaking of Jesus on the cross, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. But frankly, church, sometimes that's hard to see. If Satan is the one who is defeated and Jesus and the cross are the moment of his defeat, then why does Satan still tempt us? Then why does Satan still destroy marriages? Why does Satan still spread evil? Why does Satan still enslave people to addictions and abusive relationships and spiraling fear and depression and anxiety and bitterness. Why does he still deceive? It seems on the surface as if nothing really happened when Jesus died on the cross. But I want to tell you this morning, friends, something did happen. And something wonderful happened. And that's what I want us to see together today in Colossians chapter 2. How did Jesus defeat Satan on the cross? And what does that mean uh, for us? Now, we, we, we have to begin by looking at Satan and asking the question, what is his primary weapon against us? If our enemy is Satan... If he is out to get us, as the Bible says, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, then what is his weapon? How does he defeat us? Well, the answer to that question is found in the very name that we use for our enemy, the name Satan. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. You may or may not have known that. We speak English. The New Testament, our New Testament's in English, but originally in Greek. Do you know what the Greek word for Satan is? 
It's Satan, okay? You can remember that, right? And, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And Hebrew is that ancient language that our Bibles began with. Do you know what the Hebrew word for Satan is? It's Satan. Very good. Some of you knew that. And so this word is simply a transliteration from the original Satan in Hebrew to Satan in Greek to Satan in English. And I can tell you that in all three languages, it has the same meaning. Satan simply means accuser. Accuser. You see that in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 3, uh, Joseph is standing uh, before the Lord, and there is next to him an accuser that's pointing to his defeat and his sins. And that word is the word Satan. In fact, in Psalm 109 verse 6, uh, there, there's, some, there's a court scene. And so somebody is being pointed to, something, somebody is being accused of a crime, and the Bible calls that accuser Satan. Satan's greatest weapon is the weapon of accusation. In fact, that's Satan's only weapon. He just has one note to play. He just has one bullet to shoot. All Satan can do is accuse. He can accuse you before you. He can accuse you before the Father in heaven. That's the one thing that Satan does. Satan accuses. But we should know that his power of accusation is great. This is a devastating weapon. Let me show you how. First of all, it has the power to condemn us. Satan goes before the Lord in heaven and Satan accuses us of sin. He points out our sin. He describes our sin. He accuses us before the Father. And that is a terrible accusation. Uh, the Bible says that because he accuses us, we are guilty of sin, and because we're guilty of sin, we are to be separated from God forever and ever and ever, ultimately in a place called hell. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment, but he accuses us before the Father in heaven. His accusation is, is deadly dangerous and effective. Satan says to the Lord, and he says to us, you are guilty. He says to the Lord, and he says before us, uh, you have broken God's law. You have failed to keep your promises. There is no good in you. And his accusation condemns. Another thing his accusation does is it robs us. It has the power to rob. Not, not just Satan's accusation uh, about us to the Father, but Satan will accuse our very hearts Satan, the Bible says, Jesus said, has a goal to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does that with his accusation. He says things like this, you are worthless. You deserve, you don't deserve happiness. You are broken, washed up, compromised, hopeless. He accuses us to ourselves. And because of that, he drives us to places of bitterness and, and anger or depression and despair. And through his accusation in our hearts, he can destroy our relationships. He can steal our dreams. He can kill our joy. So Satan not only condemns us before the father with his accusation, he has the power to rob us of the, of the vitality of life. 
uh, through his accusation. And finally, through his accusation, he has the power to confuse us. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that Jesus, uh, that Satan rather is a, is a liar. And when he speaks to us, he always lies. And through those lies, he confuses us. He keeps us from seeing the truth. He keeps us from finding our way to the hope of the Lord. He says things like this, there's no hope for you. He, he says, you have gone too far. It is too late. You've failed before, you will fail again. And so Satan's weapon of accusation keeps people from coming to church where they might find hope. It keeps people from reading the Bible where they might find the truth and they might find wisdom and strength. It keeps people from prayer so that they might find forgiveness and, and love. Satan's weapon of accusation is deadly powerful and effective. So how did Jesus defeat Satan on the cross? And what does that mean for us? Well, the answer is right here in, in Colossians chapter two. And these two verses have become my favorite two verses this week as I've studied this. I want us to read them together. Colossians chapter two, verses 14 and 15. It says, he, speaking of our father in heaven, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. In those verses, church, the, the, the description tells us exactly how Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and how that is so valuable to us. So let me show you three elements to this defeat. There are really three things you've got to know and then all the pieces will come together. The first thing we've got to understand is something of the certificate of debt. So you see that right here at the beginning of verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. Now, three questions we need to ask and answer about that. First of all, what is the certificate of debt? Well, it is simply a record of every sin you've ever committed. Imagine that somewhere there were a hard drive that had all the, all the records of all the sins you've ever committed, everything that you thought that was sinful, everything that you have said that was sinful, everything that you've looked at that was sinful, everything that you've done that was sinful. Imagine all of that collected together. That's the certificate of debt. It's scary to think that there would that there would be such a thing. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 130 thought about that and he said, Lord, if you kept an account of our iniquities, who could stand? And that's a good question. If God kept a list of every sin we had ever committed, how could we stand? Well, the Bible says that he has and he does. Revelation 12.10 tells us that there's a book that records all of our works. Uh, Colossians chapter two, verse 14, just the words we, words we just read say that there is a certificate of debt. And so this certificate is a record of all our guilt. Now, the next question we need to ask and answer is what are its obligations? Because it says here in verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. Now, an obligation is just what we owe because of our debt. If you have a mortgage at the bank, 
There is a certificate at the bank in a vault somewhere, a filing cabinet somewhere, and that certificate says how much money you owe on your home. But not only does it have the debt that you owe, it has the obligations uh, that are attached to that debt, that you're to pay a certain amount of money each month for a certain number of months, that you're to pay a certain interest rate, and that you're to you know, keep the home insured, and there's probably a whole list of other things that you have to do. There is the debt, but then there are the obligations. You don't just owe the money on your home to the bank, you are obligated to pay them back little bit at a time, little bit every month. There's the debt and then there are the obligations. So we see here in verse 14 that there's a debt for the sin. There's a certificate of our debt, all of our sin, but then our obligations. Now, what are our obligations? Because we're guilty of sin. Well, the Bible uh, makes it very clear that our obligations are death. The Bible says the wages of sin, the result, the consequences of sin, any sin in our lives is, is death. And so the certificate of debt says that we owe God because of our sin. The obligations say that we owe him our lives. That's hard to understand. What we have to know uh, is, is that oftentimes we compare ourselves simply to other people and we feel okay about our sins. We think I'm not such a bad sinner because I know people who sin much worse than I sin, so I'm not so bad. But when we compare our sins not to other people but to the Lord, then we can see next to the holiness and the purity of God how terrible our sins are. And God who has never sinned, who doesn't even have a shadow of sin, God is separated from us because of our sin. Now, from God comes life. God is the very source of life. And so if we're separated from the source of life, that brings death. The consequences of sin is death. So the certificate of debt says that we're sinners. The obligation says that we owe our lives. But, but there's one more thing I want you to see about this certificate. Look at verse 14 again. He says that God erased the certificate of debt. Now that's good news, right? There's a certificate of debt. That's bad news. There are obligations. The obligations is death. That's bad news. But here's the good news. He has erased the certificate of debt. Now the word erase there is a strong word. It means to completely annihilate, to destroy, to make something as if it never existed before. He completely erased our certificate of debt. Now, Thinking about that mortgage that we spoke of a moment ago, imagine that tomorrow you go to your bank and you're called into the office of the president and he says or she says, here is your certificate of debt. Here's your mortgage. This is the document that makes you legally obligated to us to pay back all of this money. This is the only copy. This is the only legally binding instrument. And watch what I'm going to do. And he takes that mortgage and he drops it in a shredder and it's cut into a million pieces. And all of a sudden, your mortgage is canceled. Well, here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what this passage is saying, that God has taken our certificate of debt with all of its obligations and he has destroyed it. He has erased it. He has, he has taken it away. 
Isn't that incredible news? So that's the first element we have to understand, the certificate of debt. But the second element we have to understand is the payment of debt. Now, let's, let's go back to our banking analogy. And let me tell you that that's never going to happen. Okay, sorry to disappoint you, but your bank president is not going to cancel your mortgage. Why is he not? Well, because he has a fiduciary responsibility to the stakeholders of the bank. He has a responsibility to the people who have deposits on account at the bank. He can't just cancel your mortgage. He can't do that. If you don't pay the mortgage, somebody else has to pay the mortgage. You borrowed that money. It is owed. It belongs to other people. It has to be paid back. So we're guilty of sin and our sin deserves death. And the Bible says that God has erased that certificate of debt, that really that certificate of death. But how is he able to do that? Now, we've got to understand that God is not a bank president, and he's not answerable to a board. He doesn't have to give a report to the stakeholders. God can do whatever God wants to do. But similar to a bank president, God says that he will be faithful to his own standard. And God has set the standard. He has said, you must not sin, and sin deserves death. And because that's God's standard and God will never violate his own standard, God can't just forgive. God chooses because he wants to honor his standard. God says, I will not forgive the debt. So how could he have erased debt? It says that he's erased the certificate of debt, but how did he do that? How, how is that accomplished? Well, we look back in verse 14. And it says, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. So God doesn't simply erase it. God satisfies it by the work of Jesus on the cross. Does that make sense? So now let's go back to your bank. And you're standing before the bank president and he says or she says, here's your certificate of uh, debt and with all of its obligations and you owe us a couple of hundred thousand dollars. But I want to introduce Fred to you and he points to a man standing there with a briefcase and he says, Fred has come in this morning with a briefcase full of cash. And in fact, he has the same amount of cash in his briefcase as the amount you owe on your mortgage. And he is giving us that money to satisfy your mortgage. And so it's satisfied. And then he drops your mortgage into the shredder. Now, that's still not likely to happen, but it, but it at least is legal, right? Because the bank president has not just canceled your debt, which he cannot do, but he has satisfied your debt. Fred, rather, has satisfied your debt. And so now it can be canceled. See, God doesn't just cancel our debt because he would violate his own standard if he did that. But what God does is he allows his son Jesus, to die on the cross, Jesus didn't deserve to die. You and I do deserve to die. He allows Jesus to die on the cross to satisfy 
our debt. My debt has not been canceled in as much as it has been satisfied by Jesus. So we see the certificate of debt and then we see how how the payment is made. But there's a third element you see in this passage that really brings all of this together and we see how Christ defeated Satan. This is so important. Let's see the disarmament of Satan. And so we look at verse 15 and it says again, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. How exactly was Satan disarmed? Well, let's go back and talk about Satan's weapon. Satan has one weapon. Do you remember what it was? Do you know what it is? It's the weapon of accusation. It's Satan saying you're guilty. Uh, you've uh, gone too far. You've, you've broken too many promises. You're guilty. You're guilty. That's all Satan can do. He can say it to you. He can say it to the father. That's his one weapon. But now something has changed, right? Now Jesus has satisfied the debt. So the debt has been erased. And so now Satan's one weapon is powerless against you. It's powerless against me. Satan, if he says to me, you're guilty. No, I'm not guilty. Because Jesus has satisfied that guilt. Now the weapon, the one weapon that that Satan had, that weapon has been made meaningless because of the sacrifice of Christ. Satan says, you are guilty. We can say, no, we're not My sin has been canceled, it has been paid for, it has been erased, it has been satisfied. Satan says, you are broken, washed up, compromised, hopeless. I can say, no, I am forgiven and I am restored. I am not washed up, I'm just washed. Satan would say, there's no hope for you. And I can say, I have nothing but hope and confidence in the Lord. I have no fear of getting caught. I have no fear of being in trouble with the Father. I have no fear of eternal punishment because Jesus has satisfied my debt. Satan can say and can accuse by saying, it's too late for you. And I can say, no, Satan, you're too late because my sin has been canceled. And so imagine the day after the bank president shreds your note because Fred has satisfied your debt, uh, a, a collector calls you and says, listen, you need to pay up your mortgage or we're gonna take your house away. And you can laugh at that collector and you can say, you don't intimidate me because there is no mortgage, there is no debt, it has been satisfied. Let me, let me show you how uh, the Bible says that in Romans chapter 8. The question is asked, who can bring an accusation against God's elect children? Who can accuse us? 
God is the one who has justified us, means he has satisfied it. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Before it was Satan who was making accusation. Now it's Jesus who is interceding with the Father for us. It goes on to say, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why can we say that? Because Satan has been defeated. How do we know Satan has been defeated? Because his accusation has been made meaningless. I like to imagine something, and this isn't from Scripture. This is my imagination, so don't look for this verse. But I think it's true to, uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the context of Scripture. I like to imagine that one day when my life comes to an end, uh, that I will stand before my, my father in heaven. And I don't know, in my mind, I, I, I just picture that it's a dark room and I can't see how large the room is. It just sort of fades out in every direction. But there before me is the father on the throne in all of his power and all of his holiness and uh, all of his justice. And I stand there in, in fear before a holy God. And I imagine just to my left, there's the accuser. And he begins to read a list of my sins. He begins to read and describe everything I've done wrong. And I am just filled with shame. The weight of the judgment of God standing before the holy, righteous judge of heaven. I, I am just overwhelmed with guilt as the accuser reads. But then out of the shadows on the other side comes another man. And he puts his arm around me. And I look at him and I just know it's Jesus. And he puts his hand out to silence the accuser. And he looks to the father and he says, Father, all those sins, all those sins, I have paid for those. They've been satisfied. This one is with me. And the accuser is banished and I am accepted before the father in heaven. How did Jesus defeat Satan on the cross? He took away his ability to accuse us ever again if we belong to Christ. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me and for you? Well, it depends on who we are. It can mean two different things. Number one, it means that you can be connected to God. Don't listen to the lies of Satan that say you've gone too far, you've waited too long, there's too much water under the bridge, you have sinned too many times, you've broken too many promises, you have tried too many times to turn your life around. Those are all accusations of Satan. 
Listen to Revelation 12.10. It says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Don't listen to the accusations of Satan. Don't let him confuse you. Don't let his accusations deceive you. Don't let them condemn you. Listen to the next verse, verse 11. They conquered him. They conquered Satan by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, how do we conquer Satan? If you're not connected with God, if you're not a child of God this morning, let me tell you exactly how you conquer the accuser. Let me tell you how you become a child of God by the blood of the lamb. By trusting that Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed his blood, not because he deserved it, but because you deserved it. And he shed his blood for you, for your forgiveness. You have to trust that what Jesus Christ did was enough for all your forgiveness by by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. You have to say, Jesus is my Lord. You have to put your trust in Jesus Christ and say, I leave everything behind and I embrace Jesus. And the Bible says, just as that verse promises, we will conquer our enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, never been adopted into the family of God, I'm telling you this morning, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, you can become a child of God. You say, well, pastor, make it clear. What do I do? How do I pray? Well, you'd pray like this. Father in heaven, I know I've sinned and I know my sin separates me from you. And I understand my sin deserves death. Even when I don't see it, I know it deserves death because that's your standard and you will never violate your standard. But I also know that Jesus died for me and that's enough. And I trust him and I repent of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I don't know all that that involves. I don't know all the places that'll take me, but I surrender my life to you today. And I want to be forgiven and I want to be a child of God. And because Satan was defeated on the cross, today you can become a child of God. Now, I said that there's, uh, there are two things this can mean. Uh, one is you can be connected to God today for the first time. But the second thing is this, you can be reconnected to God. Uh, if, if you're a child of God, listen, once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. But sometimes, even as children of God, we listen to the voice of, of Satan who will accuse us. And, and we feel guilt and we, we, are, we feel separated from God. And, and so we're, we find ourselves separated from his word and from worship and from church. And we're just eat up with guilt. We think I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't walk this road. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because the accuser has been, uh, been, been defeated because his weapons have been thrown down. Don't listen to the lies of Satan. God loves you and forgives you and you can be restored if you just call out to him today. 
The good news of the gospel is that you can know Christ if you don't. And the good news of the gospel is if you know Christ, God still loves you and you can be restored in your fellowship with God if you will trust him today. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment, I want to pray for you. We're going to have a brief word of invitation, song of invitation. Um, if, if you would like to make a decision this morning, you can step down from where you are as we sing. There will be people here in the front that will talk to you. If you would like to make a decision and you don't want to step down, I know it's Easter Sunday morning and there are a lot of people here on this level and down in our overflow, then you can just simply reach out to us, see one of our ministers after the service, call us tomorrow, send us an email. We want to sit down and encourage you in this life-changing truth that Satan has defeated, has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. Father, may, may you be honored in our lives because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.